I'm Ellen Morrison, I'm a disabled activist and this is Ellen Clifford, also a disabled activist and author of The War on Disabled People. I'm going to be putting a series of questions to Ellen Clifford so we can establish a brief introduction to deaf and disabled people's oppression. So first up, who are disabled people? <laughs> Obviously in wider society lots of people have ideas about what they think disabled people look like but we know that's often quite a narrow view. For example, lots of people might not perceive you or me to be a disabled person. So could you explain to me what we mean when we refer to disabled people? Yeah, thanks, Ellen. Um, I think it's a mark of the complexities of disabled people's oppression, the fact that we always need to begin a discussion by describing who uh, we actually are. Um, so within the term disabled people, we actually include people with physical and mobility impairment, people with sensory impairment, such as sight loss, people living with mental distress, people who have learning difficulties, sometimes called learning disabilities, um, also people who are neurodivergent and within that category we include people who are autistic, people who have ADHD or dyspraxia for example um, and we also include people living with long-term health conditions um, so that's a very wide array of people who, who come under that term. Um, in Britain you see we follow what's known as the social model of disability and what the social model does is it draws a distinction between illness and impairment on the one hand and disability on the other. Um, disability being the layer of oppression and discrimination which is imposed by society on top of the, the conditions that we live with. So the experiences of people uh, within the term disabled people can vary hugely. Um, illness and impairment can quite often involve pain and distress as an everyday part of living with that condition but on the other hand it also includes groups of people who who don't see their condition as representing a biological deficit so for example people who are neurodivergent um, their brain is wired differently to what we call neurotypical people it isn't wired wrongly what unites all of us as disabled people are those experiences of discrimination and oppression that we face on a daily basis. And if we look through the history of disabled people's struggle, I, uh, for me, what, what stands out very clearly is that it's at those particular moments where we come together to fight for the material resources that we need to survive. Those are the points at which I think we see people's disabled identities coming through the sharpest. Um, so an example of that is uh, after 2010, when more and more people were being turned down for the benefits that they, they really needed to survive as a result of welfare reform. At that time, we saw a, dis uh, a resurgence of disabled people's activism as more and more people who maybe were in receipt of, of disability benefits but didn't identify as disabled people started taking up those identities in order to fight back and show resistance to the government. 
So it's also a complexity that we have that many people who are disabled don't identify as such. And of course, a significant proportion of people who um, you know, aren't born disabled but acquire their impairment over their, over their lifetimes. Um, so that's something that's, that's been talked about in the disabled people's movement you know for, for many years tom shakespeare in 2006 said you know the, the social model of disability is wrong because most people don't identify as disabled but i've actually seen that change since 2010 whereby more and more people are, are taking up that identity to show resistance to to the government's attacks that they've experienced but also because disabled people have been so, so active and at the forefront of the resistance I think there's more positivity that's come through in terms of having a disabled identity. Uh, we're seeing each other more in terms of being fighters um, and the strength that comes uh, through the experience of being disabled and having, having to fight every day. Um, and more and more people are now feeling proud of that identity, I think. Um, just one extra thing about who we are, I think, is, is the fact that, as you say, there is so many misconceptions in society about what it means to be disabled. Most people think of, uh, I think the typical image of a disabled person is associated with a wheelchair, but actually only 8% of disabled people ever need to use a wheelchair. Um, the largest group is actually people living with, with mental distress. And I think people often underestimate how many of us there are. So we're actually the world's largest minority. And in Britain currently, I think the figure is around 21% of the population of disabled people. Thanks for that, Ellen. That was definitely comprehensive. Um, so next up, do you think you could explain why lots of us distinguish between deaf and disabled? Why is so much covered under the term disabled, but deaf pulled out separately? Yeah, this is something people uh, ask about all the time. Why are they different? And why is it them that gets to be different? Um, so there's a difference between deaf people with a small d and deaf people with a big d. With a small d, that refers to people who are deafened or hard of hearing and uh, probably know English and are able to read and understand English. And people who, who are deaf with a small d do identify as disabled, but it's people with a big D who don't. So the big D represents being deaf and also being a sign language user. And deaf sign language users identify not as disabled, but as a linguistic and cultural minority. And I think the big misconception there that people often have is that all deaf people can might not be able to hear English, but they can read it. But sign language and uh, written or, or hearing languages are, are so completely different that, that that's often not the case. Um, so in order for something to be accessible to a sign language user, you, you do need to have the information in sign language as well as in writing. Great, thanks for that, Ellen. Um, are you able to pull out maybe just a few things that you think are key to understanding the particular type of oppression that deaf and disabled people face? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things that, that's, that's really key to understanding that the particular form of oppression, as you say, that, that we face. I think one thing is the, is the amount of poverty 
that exists among disabled people. Poverty is both cause and consequence of disability. Disabled people face a um, significant amount of extra unavoidable costs on top of the usual day-to-day -day costs that, that everyone else faces. Um, research by Scope uh, estimates that on average disabled people face around, I think it's £583 a month of additional unavoidable expenditure on top of what everyone else does. Um, and for one in five families with a disabled member, that amount is over £1,000 a month. In Britain, disabled people are three times more likely to live in severe material deprivation. Um, so it's a very it's a very enduring characteristic of disability that the, the amount of poverty there is. Um, the government repeatedly asserts that it protects the so-called most vulnerable, but actually evidence from the cuts shows that they were targeted on disabled people and that the higher the support need, the higher the the, the harder you, they were hit. Um, and this really ties into the, the second key uh, characteristic of disabled people's oppression that I want to talk about, and that is the intrinsic relationship between disability and capitalism. So support for those who may never be productive in the workplace isn't a cost that it's in the interest of capitalism uh, to cover except to avoid civil unrest. With pensions, for example, you want your workers to know they won't starve, you know, when they reach the end of, of their of their working life. Um, but if someone is may never be able to work, doesn't have the same purpose um, in terms of upholding, you know, society under capitalism. And disability is actually a socially constructed category that was designed to identify and uh, weed out uh, those who are less productive. And, and, and any support given to this group of people is always going to be done with one eye on not undermining the work incentive uh, among the rest of the working class. Um, it's, uh, so, so disability is a socially constructed category. And yet what we're taught is that <clears throat> exclusion and lesser life chances for disabled people um, for people living with illness and impairment is, is somehow inevitable. That of course we're going to have less opportunities in life because there's something wrong with us. Um, and ideas of disability that, that surround us uh, in, in today's society um, present disability as a matter of, of personal tragedy. It, it's something we can overcome if we're superheroes like the Paralympians. Um, but uh, it very much locates the problem within us uh, and thereby distracting us from the way it's actually the socioeconomic structures we live under that are what hold us back and exclude us. Uh, and also distracts us from the fact that an alternative is actually possible, an alternative society where we're all able to contribute and be valued for that. Um, in the words of Marx, uh, a society that's, uh, that operates on the principle of from each according to need to each, sorry, from each according to ability to each according to need. Thanks for that. Um, okay, so I think you've definitely covered what our oppression looks like, but do you think you could go into how best we can challenge that oppression? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I do think, I mean, I think what's good about this educational resource is I think that there needs to be a much wider understanding of the particular form of oppression that disabled people face, um, and particularly how it ties into questions of wider political economy. Because I think actually the, the way disabled people are, are treated under capitalism is a really good example of, of what a brutal and callous system it is. And I think it, it also shows us um, that an alternative society would be much more much more humane um but i also think in terms of challenging that oppression it's important to see it as part of the wider struggle of the working class um, and it's by uniting with other groups and fighting all forms of oppression that we are going to be able to win a society where disabled people are no longer oppressed um and one that is run in the interests of the many, not the few. Thank you. Um, I think definitely the, the wider society thing. I think I've been a little bit frustrated with the left on the whole at not being able to engage with the social model and maybe just a, even kind of demoralising that things as basic as the social model aren't widely understood and that the left hasn't made space for us to debate and discuss it in the way it has interrogated other tools for understanding oppression. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Yeah, I think it's it can be something that's very frustrating. And when I was researching the book, um, I found that frustration through the ages. So in the 1930s, there was a group called the League of the Physically Handicapped in America during the Great Depression, and they were fighting for the for the right to work and the right to have jobs. Um, and they had allies in the left, um, and the allies on the left. Uh, presented them when they wrote about them in their in their socialist papers as um, the poor cripples. So they were kind of using them, <laughs> using them to show how brutal the system was that they lived under, but not actually giving them respect or engaging with the kind of oppression that, that disabled people face. Um, and it's that is still true today. As frustrating as it is, though, I suppose it you know it does come from a, an understandable place in that people will take on board um, the messages that are prevalent throughout society and all around us. Um, we, we're told that, essentially, we're told that it's better to be dead than disabled. So unless people have cause to question that because they, uh, because of personal experience, people aren't automatically going to come with an understanding that those things that, that they've heard since they were born were, were wrong. But I think what is important now is to try and, and get spaces where we're able to educate people, but also struggle alongside each other, I think, is the best way to change people's ideas. I think that through DPAC uh, and our Disabled People Against Cuts and, and our campaigning, we've been able to educate allies on the left um, just by them you know, coming to protest with us, seeing the way we live our lives, um, seeing that, you know, we we're not to be pitied it's not you know charity that we want it's justice okay is there anything else you think you want to add before we wrap up Ellen or I think that was very comprehensive probably covered considering it was a, a brief introduction to deaf and disabled people's oppression um if there's anything else you want to add otherwise I think I'll just say a big thank you um and yeah, although to lots of 
deaf and disabled people, Ellen will have covered things that we already know and understand. I think it's really crucial that we develop a more widespread understanding of deaf and disabled people's oppression, particularly as things get increasingly more hostile for us. And taking the time to learn from disabled people is definitely a step in the right direction, though. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.